to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. My name is Peter. I'm a producer at Crunchyroll and an editor at Anime Feminist, and today I'm joined by Caitlin and Lizzie, if you two would like to introduce yourselves. Hi, this is Caitlin. I am the technical editor, managing editor for Anime Feminist, and I also write a lot of reviews for Anime News Network these days, and I am recording my second podcast of the day. I'm Lizzie. Um, I'm an editor at Anime Feminist. You can find my stuff on AniFam or on my site at nerdyboliviane.com. And uh, today we're going to talk about Netflix anime. We have had a lot of discussions as to how we can properly cover Netflix since it has such a strange release schedule uh, that rarely matches up with seasons or the actual release dates for the shows. So as part of these discussions, we just decided that we do a sort of end of the year wrap up of at least all the Netflix anime that we have watched. Um, so the order on this is going to be a little bit strange since we're just going by chronological date that the anime were released, since it's hard to kind of keep track of when they jump up on Netflix. It means the order might be a little strange for this show, and hopefully we'll still have things to talk about by the time we hit the more recent ones. That means we'll be hitting things off with Dorohedoro, the story of, well, I guess mostly about Cayman, but it's about a lot of things, a guy with a lizard head who is trying to find the wizard who turned him his head into a lizard head so that uh, he can not have a lizard head anymore and all of the uh, cute and varied cast of serial killers uh, he hangs out with slash fights along the way. I think everybody has a pretty... Uh, Lizzie, did you watch this one? Uh, yeah, I went... I, I've, I'm actually watching it now. I mean, I'm halfway. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I like it so far and... I guess what I really like is how gory this show is. It's very <laughs> unapologetic about it. See, I actually avoided the manga for a long time because I heard a lot about how gory it is. And I'm not really, I'm not into gore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan. So I was like, you know, it sounds great, but I don't think it's for me. But then the anime came out and I watched it to review and I ended up uh, completely falling in love with it. Um, falling in love with Noi and I mean and everyone in it but especially Noi yeah everybody is uh, very cute <laughs> which is very weird because they're usually also very violently murdering one another and it's interesting how the series maintains this balance of like ultra violent uh, like merciless killers who all spend a lot of time also hanging out and like eating food and wearing weird outfits and like participating in strange wizard holidays <laughs> in this really kind of gruesome looking sticky world that you have, like really love every single character in the world and like want to hang out with them even at risk of terrible death like being cut in half and then wrapped around another person to make an idiot sandwich yeah it's it's really interesting how they strike that balance because the sort like the sorcerers are very much like a more privileged class than the people in the whole and like with the magic practice they do like transfiguring people's heads and stuff uh are very much like an oppressor class mm-hmm. but they still manage to make the sorcerers like so so likable you know it's like when I watched the first episode, I was like, okay, the sorcerers are the antagonists. And, you know, there's like a lot of, there's some banality to their e- evil. Um, you can see my um, first episode review. But then as the series went on, I realized that like, cause I knew, I knew about like Noi and Shin and I was like, oh, Noi and Shin are sorcerers. Um, they are, are they, are they the bad guys? It's like, no, not really it's just um a lot more i don't know if i would call it complicated but like it doesn't just boil down to to that yeah i think there come like some sort of surface level themes about societal inequity but i don't really know if that's the kind of story qi ishida wanted to write at the end of the day mm-hmm. since like half half the time like all the like supposed villain sorcerers sort of become main characters and like, yeah, I really love Noi and Shin and Ebisu and even N is super charming as I guess like so the de facto good. villain. Kind of like this weird evil mushroom themed Billy Maze. 
you end up like kind of liking all the characters. I, I've read through all the manga, so I kind of know how it rolls out. And I, I, I don't really think at the end of the day, like Kyu Hayashida was really trying to say anything, which is kind of weird since the story, I guess th- this is something I'm probably going to be talking about with Beastars as well, where it's kind of like a, a lot of things are happening, but ultimately it seems to kind of just be about nothing. Um, you're sort of just hanging out with the characters uh, or it like jumps around to a different types of bunch of story types all at once. And I think with Doro Heiduro, it really succeeded in that since it's got like a bunch of concurrent plots running, which it kind of like jumps in and out of. Uh, and sometimes it seems like Kyu Ishida just wanted to write the characters like having a cook off with pies or something like that, <laughs> uh, rather than murdering each other or trying to advance the Cayman's plot or Anne's backstory or something like that. Yeah, and you know, like normally I'm very much like I want series to be about something. Um, I want them to have like some sort of like thematic thrust, but with Dorohedora, like it's just it's so charming and all the world building is really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So I like you can there's a a very real sense of like like the whole the whole to a degree, but to a great after a certain point it became interesting that she was a lot more interested in developing the sorcerer's world and their society yeah um and it's just it's stuff like um you know like the masks like at first it seems like they're doing it to sort of keep an anonymity but it's after a while it started to seem like it's like well it's just you're not just fully dressed if mm-hmm. you're not wearing your mask and the stuff with like the demons and yeah it's it's just really really interesting and as like the story goes you see more and more of this very like familiar but also unfamiliar culture so yeah it's just super cool to see develop and play out and i guess we should touch on the adaptation a little bit as well um this is like i i feel really conflicted because i think mappa did like the backgrounds are awesome uh like probably some of the most standout like cool backgrounds i've i've seen uh in maybe any anime ever and the voice cast do a really great job it's got some really like psychedelic animation sequences like when shin's killing some guys it's got like rainbow blood splatters going over like flying all over this like (laughs) like dingy bathroom wall and stuff and like the regeneration animation where you can see the cells reconstructing themselves stuff like that um, but a lot of time it does it does have CG in it. I, I kind of found myself falling in and out of really not liking it, and other times I don't know if it was like me being okay with it or just more resigned. I really wish it had been two D animated, but yeah. also I realized there's a lot of limitations considering how complex the designs of everything in the anime are. Yeah, I wish they had. And Kim Morrissey Frogkin wrote an article on this for ANN, but like I wish that the direction had kind of gone had kind of taken advantage of that CG a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Cause I do, I do generally prefer 2d, but there is stuff you can do with CG that is hard to do with 2d or if they had gone with like the UFO table method of like first animating everything in CG and then drawing over it with 2d. Yeah. Um, I think that would have been a really cool looking show. Um, but we'll also, we'll get more into three like CG anime when we're talking about like uh drifting dragons and stuff i'm sure um but yeah and i i feel like the characters are a little bit more potato faced Mm -hmm. in the anime they still like they still look you know very appealing but like they're just a little bit more like rounder and chubbier looking yeah, I think I think it's they they have there's a style where it's like really trying to emulate what it looks like 2D, like kind of like with the outlines and sort of matte colors inside the characters. I always come back to like Bubuki Baranki as like this CG anime that I really like, but it, it kind of like really committed to its 3D aesthetic and designed the characters as 3D. And I, I I kind of have to wonder a lot of the time like what the characters would look like if the production wasn't so obsessed with them making them look like they were 2D when they were 3D models. If it had, you know, kind of committed to making them 3D. Because uh, Land of the Lusters also did that, where it didn't really try to make the characters look like 2D models at any time, but really incorporated them into these uh, similarly outstanding backgrounds mm-hmm. in, like, a much more organic way, I think. Then yeah. they had much simpler character designs. So, 
In fact, all of the bodies in that series are identical for the lustrous, so it was probably a lot easier. So yeah, there. I mean, and there are some hand drawn shots in Dora Hedora that look that look gorgeous for sure. Also, uh, just want to put out there, noise, my huge beautiful wife. Uh, noise, great. Hello, um, noise. She is a giant, great Pyrenees puppy of a woman, and I just love her so much. Uh, Lizzie, did you have any final thoughts, or should we move on? Pretty much, I think Caitlin wrapped that up. I mean, I I have a huge crush on Ikado and Noi. Like, I just love the way their bodies were animated, and it's just something about the way their very their muscular body seems like. Um, I wouldn't say realistic, but it just feels right. You know, they're not like so over the top. They're just muscular and you know and powerful, and they have personalities. So. Yeah, those are the two standout characters for me in the show. So, Okay, uh, the next one I think is just Caitlin has been watching it despite my best intentions to finally catch up with the series, uh, Drifting Dragons. Yeah, that was another, that was one that I watched because of uh, professional obligations. Uh, I didn't, mm, I didn't end up caring for it in the end. It's kind of... It's about whaling. Yeah. Let's just, you know, like put it out on the table. Uh, the dragons are whales. Uh, it is steampunk whaling only in the sky instead of the ocean. And whaling is a really controversial issue, of course. In the end, I don't really like how it handled it uh, because there was some really like it tries to walk a line with like oh yeah we hunt and kill them but in a way that is respectful and like i i eat meat i'm not opposed to hunting um i've you know i've eaten venison uh but you know whales are an endangered like a lot of species of whales are endangered uh and this is something that is controversial in Japan and worldwide. Uh, so it felt kind of propagandistic because um, like if it were just about hunting as a whole, that would be one thing. But once again, it's about whaling in particular. Um, and there were some like really like they tried to like pay to be like, well, there are, you know, these cultures that like, uh, these sort of indigenous cultures where whaling is a really impart- important part of the, their ceremonies and their art and stuff like that. It's like, okay, well, sure, but that's not what the main characters are. The main characters are the ones who are just sitting there talking about how much they love to eat whales. Um, and at the end, there was this really, like, it, it was just really awkward where they kill a dragon and the main character, whose name I can't think of right now, uh, sh- they kill a dragon and they she gets stranded and she finds a baby dragon and realizes the dragon that they killed was its mother. Oh no! Okay. And oh. for she a she she feeds the baby mayonnaise made out of its mother. Oh god! Okay. <laughs> um, and at the end, when they find her and they find a herd of or a pod of dragons or whatever. And they release the baby to go with them. And she's like, grow up big and strong so someday I can hunt you and eat you. That's uh And it is yeah. Yeah. That's messy. Um that's messy. It's weird. And like it's a polygon pictures anime, and it's probably the first polygon pictures anime that actually has uh colors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was good. Um, but like I didn't I wasn't like the dragons looked really cool and otherworldly but I didn't really care for the way that people were animated uh, especially since like the manga has this really gorgeous Nausicaa inspired art which is another yeah. really weird thing because Nausicaa is a manga that's about preserving the environment mm-hmm. and living in harmony with nature and it is very blatantly inspired by it and this is a series about killing and eating nature. With that's not really particularly concerned with living in harmony with it. Yeah. But it. um so but the manga has this really has this really gorgeous detailed art 
and the anime kind of the CG they use kind of smooths it out. It's like the baggy practical flight suits like are um are just like very smooth. Uh it makes them all look they like they have huge butts. Like just um <laughs> like <laughs> so uh yeah, I didn't care for I thought the animation did not do the manga justice. Um and yeah, it was just it had some good parts, but in the end it's still prevailing propaganda. Mm, that's too bad cuz it sounds like it could have had something to say about having to coexist with nature. And the spiritual aspects of that, but it doesn't even do that right. No. So yeah. So it it's kind of like I, I've heard it's kind of like a fantasy cooking thing, kind of like Dungeon Meishi, right? Do they really get into like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some there's some very like serious food porn in it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I could see them like wanting to focus on that and just kind of using it as like a, kind of a place setting, uh, but it does seem from what you're saying like it really leans into like it makes efforts to kind of attach itself to the to even like the politics around whaling <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh it, it's hard to just say like well this is a fantasy version of that that's not reflective in real like life it took effort specifically to do that to itself yeah sort of thing. yeah yeah okay so yeah it kind of like it, it opened itself to criticism there and that's unfortunate also the fact that it like cg strikes again yep yeah i, I thought uh, like polygon I, I think their work with uh Tsutomonihei's stuff is pretty good because Sutomani Hay himself doesn't seem very interested in drawing people but uh yeah with drifting anything like kind of Miyazaki-esque that's hard to adapt in that sort of CG style for sure mm-hmm. tragic yeah mm, that sucks I mean ultimately it sounds like it was just propaganda about propaganda and ultimately about nothing mm-hmm. so yeah well the next one I think all of us have watched uh which is the stars uh triggers new anime about wait nope try again oh did i say i was thinking bna when i said that where's bna oh it's just beneath it b stars bna same thing okay next is b stars uh based on oh god paro itagaki's manga yeah yeah about uh well i i kind of lost the thread personally because i thought (laughs) it was about like uh a mystery murder in a school that had like a lot of political issues around there being carnivorous and herbivorous animals in it and then it became about uh kind of high school drama with one person trying to become sort of like a de facto student body president and then it became about like wider cultural issues and then it became about uh the yakuza coming in and wanting to eat people now i'm not sure what it's about so I guess I just sort of gave away the ghost about how I feel about it. <laughs> Maybe you two should share your thoughts. Overall, I, I really liked it. Like the, atm- the atmosphere was like super chill for the most part when it was just focused on the high school drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, I like the main character, like a Legoshi. He's just super chilled. And I don't know, there's something about him that I felt like there was... I think they were trying to say something about privilege with him mm-hmm. in, in regards to um, he's aware because he's a carnivore and he's like a, he's a wolf on top of that, that he has to like practice certain restraint. Otherwise, you know, he is, he is going to harm the herbivores around him if he doesn't like, you know, control himself in that way. But it seems like for the most part, like his other carnivore friends don't, seem to agree and they want to explore you know that side of themselves and he's not down with that Mm -hmm. but yeah but yeah like overall i like i liked it i mean i get i I think i'm kind of lenient with season one because they're just introducing us to the world like especially the black market i know like there's probably going to be more on that on season two but overall yeah I liked all the characters. Haru was my favorite. She's super sweet and I don't know, she's just down to earth and just pretty realistic about some things. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I'm curious, are you guys watching these series subbed or dubbed? Uh, I watched it subbed. 
subbed. All right. I watched it dubbed, which was fun because A, Netflix's dubs are generally very good, especially compared to the sameness of um, uh, Funimation's current dubs. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, and I watched, uh, did I watch everything we've talked about? So no, I watched Dora Hidoro in Japanese, but I watched uh, uh, Drifting Dragons in English as well, um, which was very strange because uh, the main girl has the same voice actor as Morgana from Persona 5, which I was playing at the same time that I was watching it, and it was oh. the same voice. So That's it was weird. very, very jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, but not as jarring as Haru uh, having the same voice actor as Kari from Digimon. Oh. Uh, which oh. I know weirded oh. a lot of people out to hear the voice they associate with Kari talking about a wolf boy's pubes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I could see that kind of like throwing off my uh, <laughs> impressions of the characters. I think I, I really agree. I like uh, Lagoshi and Haru and I don't remember the who's the deer guy. What's his name? Uh, Louis? 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 Yeah, yeah. I thought they're kind of like relationships with one another, like the triangle of their relationships uh, was very interesting. And I think one of my main problems with the series was that it kept getting distracted from that. Uh, like the the play thing and the B-Star thing, uh, I think really developed it well. But then once it got into the black market and like sort of started developing the world, it just seemed to, none of that seemed to be doing anything interesting. Like I really hated the panda guy because like he just, I felt like he wasted like an episode or two explaining to Lagoshi as like, an avatar for the audience, what his internal struggle was, which we already understood based on the narrative. It is it, it like been delivered to us already. So I'm like, why, why are you explaining to this after you did so much legwork just showing it to us? It, it showed us, then it told us, which felt like the weirdest thing ever. Then the Shishigumi plot, I just did not understand why that happened at all. And it made me lose a lot of confidence in the writing of the series because I, I don't know what it's trying to do anymore. It, it just seems to be a collection of random events happening to the, its main cast now. My impression of the panda was just mostly kind of like sort of being a cautionary, cautioning Legoshi about the dangers if you fall into like your your desires as a carnivore. Um, I guess he brought up a good example about like how I guess you can sort of rehabilitate from it, but I, I sort of wonder can that be really applicable to everyone who's too far gone? You know, like, I mean, that's what I got from him Mm -hmm. as like, since Legoshi hasn't really done anything, I think he's just like keeping an eye on him to see if he'll like falter. But yeah, like beyond that, like I just felt like he kind of gave like Legoshi a little bit of a reality check of how difficult it is for carnivores to, like kind of go back after even if you get a a little bit of a taste of eating a herbivore yeah so i I feel like we already understood that though didn't we because i like legoshi had been kind of conflicted in his feelings about haru because he's like oh wait do i like her do i want to eat her and then when the guys were buying the the finger on the black market he did not want to do that he seems afraid of the idea of like eating an herbivore so I feel like he has recognized these urges. He had already recognized the urges that he has and the fact that he like wants to distance himself from that and is confusing or is confused about whether the feelings he has toward Haru are part of his like predation instincts or his if he actually likes her right. I guess for me is like I kind of like that at least he has somebody to talk to about it because I felt like with his friends he wasn't really going to get that because a few of them were pretty eager okay. to buy that, that finger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so if, if nothing else, I, I hope he'll be like a mentor to him so he can be honest about his urges, at least with somebody who, what is he, a psychiatrist? Uh, he, he does something I think like, he, um, he literally just said like, I made this my hobby, didn't he? Rehabilitating predators. Yeah. Yeah, like, well, I, either way, I hope he's, like, a mentor to him where he can, he has somebody to be honest with, because I don't think he's going to get that from anywhere else, because it seems like the school is, like, 
I think the school sort of has good intentions of showing what can be possible, but the reality is much harsher than what the school wants us to believe. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess like as as part of a future role, I guess I could see Panda filling uh, a void that Legoshi's friends just don't give him like the opportunity to discuss any of that stuff, uh, or even just society in general, um, since they feel seem to feel pretty comfortable within it. So that makes sense. I guess maybe a lot is writing on the next season. The gang thing was weird. I'm not entirely sure what happened there, but I guess I'll elaborate that on season two. And it and it helps too that I think the manga has wrapped up mm-hmm. as well. So we might be getting finding out the ending to that soon when it gets translated. Okay. Well, maybe we can return to it in the future. Uh, did you have any other thoughts on it, Caitlin? I do just want to give a quick mention to the animation, which Orange is the best in the business. Yeah. Um, they are uh, pretty much the only studio that I really fully trust with CG. Uh, because they do a lot of interesting things with it and clearly work really hard. Um, but I don't have anything really to add to the discussion of the story. Okay. Yeah, like, I mean, just to add to that briefly, it just um, it just felt so natural. Like, there's not... Sometimes you would see, like, the way their fur moves was... Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I guess I. I. I wasn't expecting that, but I know Orange is. They're well known in the business for doing really good CG, so I'm glad that they handled B stars because otherwise I cannot imagine how this would have looked if another studio did it. So mm-hmm. definitely not as good. Another area where I feel conflicted because as much as I like what they're doing with B stars, I can't help but think like, what if they were just making another season of Land of the Lustrous? But hopefully, we'll get that in the future anyway. Okay, let's move on to uh, BNA for real this time. Uh, BNA is an anime by Studio Trigger, which is, uh, I, I think, like, with, uh, oh my god, what was the Fireman anime called? Premiere? Premiere. Yeah, yeah. With Premiere, oh, yeah. you kind of watch it and you're like, is Trigger trying to say something? Like, normally they do, like, kind of uh, a humble group of rebels taking on the man type series, but... Promare really tried to seem to be trying to like tackle some bigger like societal themes, and I feel like in in BNA there's just no question about it. Elizabeth, you did a whole episode about this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, this one I I don't know if we need to. We have a whole podcast on it, so I don't know if we need to get too deep. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we can get your impressions on it, like the two of you and what you thought about it. I mean, I already said my piece. Like, I had fun with it. I had fun with it. There's some messy things that are kind of perpetuated because, you know, trying to use animals as allegories to say something can kind of, you know, reinforce oppression on certain marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. But, but but having said all of that, I still had a good time with BNA. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I agree that it was a, a little messy at times, a little inconsistent, um, but it had its heart in the right place. Uh, one thing, like one moment that has really stuck with me was uh, the episode with the uh, albatross. I'm not remembering anyone's names today. Sorry, y'all. Uh, he's talking to uh, Michiru about how beast people fighting for legal recognition means that certain like ancestral ways of life have been have become. Uh, more of a struggle like now that he is now that he is recognized as a citizen of a place um, and seen in society like he's supposed to be beholden to borders but he's he's not just a person he's also an albatross and that's like albatross need to migrate it's Mm -hmm. what they do like that's you know his instincts and I thought that was really interesting and like potentially a really powerful allegory. Um, so like that that is like probably the one thing that stuck with me most. I I do think it uh, it can't. I for a while I was extremely worried because I think very near the end it started saying some things about like uh, racial purity and mixing races. But then I think the next episode went, but not really. Uh, it it did a very trigger thing at the end where it kind of like double escalated 
the the conflict of the story um and i'm glad it escalated that second time because if it was just the first it would have really changed the meaning of basically the entire anime yeah i think i think anytime that you use something other than race as an allegory for race it's going there are going to be some moments where it's like oh that doesn't quite work Mm -hmm. Uh, well they're they're afraid of them and treat them like they're different uh because they are different and more powerful and that as opposed to race where that is all socially constructed uh and racism but yeah it's it's always going to be a little messy but I do think it Beastars pulls it off better than others. I kept saying I said Beastars. Oh, Beastars again. God, uh, I hate that both of them are about okay. to start with B. If you want more about oh wait, you said Beastars or I said Beastars. I said Beastars. Okay. Oof. My fault this okay. time. No offense, but I'm relieved it wasn't me. So <laughs> Yeah, Netflix just went really hard on the furry anime this year. Yeah, why are they hey, yeah, so similar. Both start with a B. It's just cruelty to us. All right, the, here's the part where I try to remember my experience watching Ghost in the Cell 2045. Um, I just remember being very sort of unimpressed with it. I, the, the anime is really focusing on the investigation done by, uh, God, I can't remember his name, the young guy in their group who uses like a service revolver and doesn't have any implants. And a lot of the ground it's retreading is what it was doing um, with, uh, the Laughing Man in the original Ghost in the Shell series, but in, I think, a much less elegant way and without really any sort of uh, broader message it's trying to tell. I think the CG doesn't look great either. Uh, it's obviously opened itself up for a season two since it was basically just ending. It was like a to-be-continued kind of thing. I can't say I'm very optimistic about where the show is going. I feel like I should be saying more, but I just kind of feel like it was... Uh, You're on your own here. Yeah, it was sort of just a letdown. Um, it's, yeah, it was okay. great hearing all the original voice cast kind of reprising their roles, and you do get some of their, like, old repartee back or the characters. So, like, it's nice just kind of, like, if you really are a fan of Ghost in the Shell, just sort of sitting with the characters as they talk shit. Uh, but I feel like the anime doesn't know what it's about and has focused on kind of like the less attractive features of the Ghost in the Shell franchise. Yeah. Uh, then it, it does have some pretty fucking big boots to fill with uh, some of its past directors. So I I sympathize with it there, but I still feel like uh, it could have easily been about anything as opposed to just kind of nothing. I do, I do love that dub cast. You don't hear them in anime very often anymore. Oh, I, I've never heard it dubbed. Does it also kind oh. of like a really iconic cast for the... Oh, you were talking about the Japanese cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't know why I assumed dub, but this, so oh, now I need to know: Did they uh, bring back the dub cast for this? Because mm -hmm. it's like it's like Mary McGlynn and Crispin Freeman and Richard Epcar. Yeah, they brought. Yeah, looks like they got that cast back. Okay. Yeah, they seem to be good about that. Yeah, I mean, just you know. That cast, I love all of them, and they don't do none of them do anime very often anymore, which I don't blame them because apparently anime dubbing does not pay great mm -hmm. and make way more money for way less work in video games. So like, no shade, but I miss yeah. them. I miss unless them. it's a uh, unless it's Netflix footing the bill, I guess. Tell you what, for okay for the next one, I'm I'm we're gonna leave Great Pretender for last because I imagine all of us have a lot to say. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually not yeah. sure any of us have watched any of these, so uh, I'm just going to run through them to recognize their existence before we get to the last series we're going to talk about. Uh, there's High Score Girl, uh, which I know Chiaki is watching. I'm not sure if Rai's watched any, or maybe Chiaki's just tried to get Rai to watch some. Um, I watched the first season. I just never got back to it. Okay. Well, uh, if you want more on High School Girl, you can follow Chiaki on Twitter. I've seen her live tweets about it, and she seems to be enjoying the show. Um, and from what I hear, cool. season one was pretty good. So, no, it doesn't seem like it really flipped the table or anything on what it's been doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Japan Sinks, unfortunately. Uh, none of us have watched, I don't believe. I think I actively avoided it because it's such a downer. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't have the heart to watch it. 
Yeah, it didn't seem like uh, Chucky, I think, is the only member uh, of our staff who has watched it, and she doesn't seem to... I don't know if she's really interested in talking about it. Uh, the only person I, I know who really likes it is Lindsay from ANN. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I can kind of see the appeal. Uh, it just wasn't, I don't know, uh, like for U.S., it just came off of maybe his like most dark project with uh, Devil Man, and it felt kind of like a, a Devil Man but real life kind of thing. I know it's based on a, a novel by an entirely separate author, but I, it, I just like I this soon I don't feel like I needed another apocalyptic anime by Sayansaru. And plus this year has been pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I doubt I you know ideally I want to try things I want to try to watch things that uplift me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just like I, not I, so ideally. rooted in realistic tragedy. Yeah. Seems like the kind of thing that would make me really anxious to watch. Uh well next is Agresco, which Caitlin you have watched or uh, watched? just a few episodes. I didn't get very far before I had to do other things. Okay. I, I watched I, I watched all of okay, it. Okay, great. So and... you both can talk about it. I hear uh the seasons after one have been a bit of a roller coaster. Oh gosh. I really hated season three just because I mean on the one hand I appreciate that the show tries to like be honest about the, how hard adult life is but I also kind of hate that the show constantly pushes Agresco down anytime she decides to get out of her comfort zone to do something for herself and it's almost as if Im- life or the show immediately punishes her for that and it, yeah yeah it kind of seems like it's it spends a lot of time going you should just go back to living your life how you were doing it before even if you were kind of bored and aimless yeah because season two i wasn't big on and i feel like season three with the idol stuff like and i i mean i haven't watched it so this is just presumption on my part it seems like it's kind of getting away from like the relatability that made people really like aggressive so it it yeah it just seemed like a really weird choice like one of the biggest tragedies of season three is anai gets like a girlfriend and he get, he gets a successful cooking book published and that annoys me because he was the most annoying that thing sucks about season t- yeah he was the most annoying thing about season two and the fact that he's not prominent in, in season three but we see a little bit of him mm-hmm. and he's doing fine <laughs> you know that doesn't that i don't know it's not fair to me it's not fair to agresco who has to deal with everyone's bs on a daily yet their lives are okay uh but yeah like i don't know like i kind of thought season three was going to go into like agresco finally just because she likes to sing that was one of the very few things that she she had that she can unwind i thought the show was going to do something interesting with that and her pursuing that on the side while still being at her soul draining job but no it's like the show punishes her for that too and i mean i get that they wanted to focus on saying something about the idol industry that's fair but yeah it's just most of the time it just was like i just felt it was mean-spirited towards Aww. her and the ending is kind of like open-ended and you're not sure where it goes i don't know like i also hate haida in this one like i miss Haida from season one. I want him back. Like, he just becomes really desperate in this season for to to get anywhere with Agresco, even though she's like already said, "I'm not interested in you in that way." Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah, he just becomes really pathetic, and and in the last episode, the resolution to her getting out of her funk after she was almost like attacked by like an an idol um a fan of the group she belonged to was really i don't know i felt it was really cheap this yeah like i guess to give context to that a little bit is just um to get her out of her funk he tries to kind of like confessing to her again even when she's not in the yeah like she's even though she's not in the headspace for that at all right Mm -hmm. and yeah, like I, know, I I saw some BS hot takes on Twitter about that as to why he did it, but I still think it's there could have been other ways to get her out of her funk, not like that. It kind of sounds anyway, like it covers a lot of the same ground as 
not your idol, but uh, not as well. Yeah, not your idol's good. Y'all should read it. So uh, I, I'm getting. It does it seem like it's kind of like a sitcom where anytime the Gretzko kind of tries to change the dynamic of the world, it pushes her back into the situation where she's working at the place and doing karaoke on the side. So nothing really needs to change at the end of the day, that kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. You got it down, Peter. You did it. You summarized it. All my thoughts really okay. well. So in the name of sitcom, uh, Agresco is just made to suffer in office worker hell forever, basically. Yeah, she's not destined to ever change or have ambitions aside from working a nine-to-five job on a daily. Dang. Yeah. yeah. Brutal. I'm still I'm still very mad about that season. <laughs> gosh. Oh, gosh. I remember everything, and I don't want to. <laughs> that's okay, that's like the most damning review I think I've ever heard. I remember it all, and I wish I didn't. Okay. Well, that I think that's a good uh, a point of transition to our next series. <sighs> which I think yeah, the, main, the main purpose of this podcast might just be to talk about this one. It's The Great Pretender. Uh, yeah. It's by <laughs> Studio Wit, anime original. Um, I think it's written by the same guy who did was it 91 Days? Yeah, he was a director, director. for that one. And, and they got some other guy. Um, I know there's an article on Anime News Network as to his name, but as usual, his name escapes me. Mm-hmm. He wrote for like um, the writer for this for Great Pretenders, he wrote for live action movies and dramas. So anime was like his. This is his first time writing for an animated series. Okay. Well. So, yeah. But the director is like well known for loving heist movies and mm-hmm. all that jazz. I mean, Ninety One Days I heard is really good. I'm, I'll get to that eventually. But yeah. yeah. I uh, I guess I'll just launch right into one of my big grievances with this is I find it really hard to believe that anyone who working on the series was a fan of heist movies or knows anything about heist movies because I'm not sure if there's any real heist in the entire series. All of them are just the characters stealing the money or extorting the money from the guy and then doing a bunch of unnecessary stuff after the fact to like also style on them. Like I think each time with the heist, they essentially had the person's money and then tricked them after that (laughs) for no reason. Except maybe uh, the very first heist where they essentially just pretend to be cops and said, give us your money or we'll put you in prison, which I feel could have just been executed. They could have just held a gun to his head and made him do the same thing. This seems like, of all the things the series did badly, this seems like the weirdest one to complain about out the gate. But <laughs> I I was just never, like, I love heist movies myself personally. And at no point was I just like, oh, man, what a cool idea. Or, wow, they, like, you know, when they do the reveal, it's like, oh, wow, that, like, so many things make sense in context. All of them are just, like, this was either super basic or just a bunch of, you just spent, like, a million dollars making your petty robbery look really impressive. Um, I'm not super into heist movies. So, okay. like, I, I mean, I've watched, you know, I've I've watched a few because I have a friend who's really into them. Um, but, like, they're, they're I, whatever, not my yeah. thing. Um, so I personally, like, I enjoyed this. Um, I was not sitting there like, well, this is just a really low-level heist movie. Like, I, I enjoyed sort of the, the all the machinations and the reveal and stuff. Um, although by the end of Case 3, it was starting to feel a little formulaic because, like, uh, it, it looks like it's going okay. And then... It looks like things are going off the rails, but it was actually all according to Laurent's plan. Yeah, that's nice movies. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I enjoyed them. I enjoyed all of the first three arcs. Not perfect, but uh, I enjoyed them. Um, and I liked how each one kind of felt like a, a self-contained... Like, you could watch them like a movie if you wanted to skip the opening and ending. Which, although, I don't know why you would, because they're both so good. Mm-hmm. But the fourth case was just so bad. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. It was like, oh gosh. Uh, like, you know what I do like? I like scams. And on that note, everyone should check out the scam goddess. But having said that, I don't mind spectacles in heist or scams because if if you like even look into other podcasts about that stuff, there are really over the top scams that, that have happened. And and I, so I feel like that stuff can be shown or like great, I, I, 
I just feel like Great Pretenders like just did not even bother looking at some source material on that stuff because it, and it's for the most part like I overall really like Great Pretenders like Caitlin said the first three arcs can be self-contained I had my grievances about the Singapore arc in terms of Abby's storyline oh yeah that was really that was just really annoying because like there's just no way there can be a way to wrap up her trauma about being an ex-child soldier in in the way that they did like I I wish they offered a more long-term solution to how she can deal with that trauma right but it just felt very cheap for her character but yeah like no case four was just frustrating to watch from beginning to end I don't understand why on Twitter a lot of people really liked case four it just I haven't seen anyone liking case four on Twitter no Oh, like no, I've seen a lot of people who did like Same. it, and I was just like, I, I don't. I'm like, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. It's like, it's it's frustrating because like in this, and I feel like case four or towards the end that the show forgot its initial premise, which was to scam the rich, scam people who you know are not going to ever be punished for their, for, you know, for being shitty and being corrupt. But instead, like, the ones that they scammed are the ones sort of redeemed. And I'm like, why? Why couldn't you center the folks who you helped along the way that would come back in case four and and help out whatever Makoto's plan? Like, I don't even understand what Makoto's plan was in the end in case four, but it could have been so much better. Like, there's so many ways that this writing could have been fixed. Yeah, um... So the the thing that I feel like Case 4 really revealed to me was just how empty the show is. Yeah. Uh, like, there is no... It, case 4, and talking about it in terms of cases always makes me feel like we're talking about Ace Attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a game that understood that at the big climax in the final case you need to wrap up the plot threads and you need to do it in a way that is not just fun, but also emotionally satisfying feeling like the characters are finishing in a different place in a different place than they started. And, uh, and great pretender didn't understand that at all. Um, There was no really no real like emotional through line to the show when Makoto bursts out screaming at his dad and at Laurent and towards the end, I was like, yeah, yeah. Like it felt really good for a moment, but then like at the end of the episode, he was just like, you know, it was all part of the plan. Um, it's always all part of the plan. And meanwhile, uh, he was selling children. Yeah. Like oh, maybe God, yeah. it was part of the plan for Laurent and his, and Ozaki, but he genuinely thought that he was selling children and that's not okay. That is the point of no return for a character. Like, no, like, no, sorry. No, he's a villain now. And there's no redeeming that. I mean, the the final arc made villains of everyone, basically. It's sort of like, it's it's lightness kind of just jumped right over the shocking human rights abuses that they are committing. Mm -hmm. At least in the first season, the guy who was doing the sleazy stuff uh, was the villain. And also, like, Lizzie, like you said, he gets to come back and be one of the the buddies in the end. Yeah. Um, It was... And, like, no, like... The whole thing's like, well, Laurent uses people. Um, he gets no like come up in like we learn his whole backstory, but the backstory was is basically uh, people he loved died, and he joined a group of scam artists that are basically Robin Hood. Like I don't feel like I knew. I didn't feel like I knew Laurent better. I didn't feel like I had a much stronger sense of what he of of who he is now of how he feels about things like it, it does he like does he feel emotionally unattached like what what does that do to him that's not a great that's not a good way to live yeah um that's not a healthy way to live 
but you know he's just sort of carrying on carrying on so like whatever it it was just it was a disaster and it had so many episodes to do this stuff and it didn't yeah like i really felt like the writer for this one was way too focused on spectacle rather than making an actual good narrative and a heist i think for me the biggest insult was like you know the show says like human trafficking of kids is bad but then the show it also treats these kids like as like commodity as well you get like this one moment where kawan i think is his name uh he voices the frustration of these kids and how they feel abandoned by everyone but then that's it we never really I mean, we see him again by the end of it when Cynthia adopts him, but we never get like a moment or a scene where these kids realize they've been saved, you know, like or nothing like where we're never given any of these moments where these kids feel like they're actually somebody actually cares about them. And this is where I rem- they could have brought in Sal- Salazar from case one. This is where my, if, Mako, if Makoto was smart enough, like he would have brought him in. And like, this is where it would have been nice if he outmaneuvered Lawrence, if he brought back everyone they helped along the way. And he and they helped Makoto in whatever inception conning that's happening in case four, you know, like, but we don't get any of that. Like, no, it's like it was just really frustrating, like seeing where this I don't know. I just feel like there's so many ways case four could have been fixed, but it doesn't bother to do that. Like, it's like, it's super frustrating. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I liked Salazar, too. I would have loved to have seen him again. Was that the, yeah, the, like, uh, the good brother? No, he's the uh, um, the bodyguard. Case one. Who used oh, to yeah, be yeah. Yeah, they could have brought back him, uh, the good brother, and uh, the, the rich lady who was victim yeah, of the her. art thief the, they could have brought back those three and it would have been uh, a much lighter tone right and it, and makoto could have recruited um akimi's son like to help since like i imagine the guy left because he couldn't stop his mom because he had no power to do mm-hmm. it but but with our the confidence crew here he finally would have had like an people to help him bring down his mom like see full circle that would have been great mm-hmm. but no great pretenders has to do whatever bullshit that it did towards the end yeah there was just like there was no really thought towards the great the greater narrative in this last case and it's just a really like disappointing end um by the way when going once again are you guys did you guys watch this subbed or dubbed <laughs> Sub. i watched like a, um i watched both like it was great also the only nice thing I have to say about Case 4 is I love Dorothy. I love her. Anyways. Yeah, Dorothy's great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I watched the dub. It was uh, very interesting. How in the So um, Suzaku and Ishigami both had Japanese accents, which was a little bit of a choice. Oh, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> which, yeah, which is yeah. like, Okay, but like Makoto doesn't have an accent. You're not having Laurent speak with an accent the entire time. Even Cynthia, who I'm pretty sure is supposed to be British, uh, does not have an accent. So I mean, she plays, she plays it up when she meets Makoto again for the heist in Case Four. But other than that, yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Um. So why like? And I mean, this is uh, NYAV Post, and they're generally really good about that. And I'm looking at the cast list, and like, like they did get people like um, mostly Japanese, but also like just Asian, um, like uh, uh, Suz- uh, Kemi Suzaku's voice actress is named Sa- uh, Sachiyo, um, Ishigami's is named James Takulung. So clearly, like they got asian actors for these characters and like i'm looking at most of the actors match the ethnicity of the characters but uh, it was just it's just why why are you doing that what went behind that that directorial decision um so yeah yeah especially especially since in the sub for in the japanese version they really went out of their way to get for the chinese characters they got actual chinese voice actors and lawrence from 
I, I can't speak Chinese, but he didn't sound like he was speaking broken Chinese. So they got someone who can speak it accurately for his voice, which was nice. So I mean, I guess there were there were, like personally, I felt like there was a lot of cracks even early on. I did not like the way I don't think I've ever liked the way the series really treated Makoto. At the beginning, he's kind of a shit heel, but after case one, when he says like I, I think I'm going to turn myself in, like do my time, and then try to be a productive member, like I just like you know reacclimate to society and stop being a con man because I want to be a decent person, mm-hmm. uh, like I believe my father was. <laughs> and then he just immediately gets roped in new height heist like i couldn't help in my mind but compare it to the end of sarah's on my where you get like a similar like prison kind of uh uh montage and then the person is like uh, let back out and is sort of facing their new life now that they've you know paid their debt to society uh and then makoto just gets like pulled right back into cons again and at that point i i don't know why i was that just to make it look like was it unacceptable for him to be a con man? He had to be somebody unwillingly participating in the cons for him to be a suitable main character. Yeah, I would have preferred in the other cases for him to be closer to who he is in the first case where he's kind of like, he is kind of like, yeah, yeah, I am a con man. Yeah. Um, not, you know, not as far, as far back as, you know, once again, child trafficking. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, you know, having him be a little bit more morally gray. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, season four would have been a great way to, like, for him, I don't know, like, for him to decide if he really, it's a make or break deal. Like, I'm either going to do this full, like, be a con artist or not. But, yeah, no, like, we're not given any of that. And it's, um, I'm, I'm just trying to justify why Lawrence would, like, keep roping him in unless his dad was involved or... Or he just likes him. I think it's so. because of his dad. Yeah, it was the connection. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. from the beginning, I think that also established Lawrence is just like, uh, it almost seemed like part of his con was just playing with people or manipulating people. Because I, I think it pretty early on, he establishes that no, they don't even think Makoto's a good con man, but they keep pulling him into their cons. And I guess it's all toward their, their ends in case four, where they want to use his badness of being a con to literally give him Stockholm Syndrome. That's which is their plan which totally fucking sucks but it seems like laurent is like purposefully torturing people for no reason like the the plan with the the flying tournament or whatever why make abby the pilot literally they're strapping her into a ptsd machine that's their plan and i don't know traumatized yeah like why does she even know how to fly there's there's no way she had like learned how to fly before that if it was like so traumatic for her and they, they couldn't, they didn't know one pilot anywhere. There was like no reason for her to be doing that. Uh, it, it just felt so like narratively forced that, and, and none of them cared that she was literally like throwing up in the seat and like having flashbacks and stuff. That was so like, I was like, man, these people suck. Why are they doing this to her? The whole time I was just like, I, I don't like Lauren. Like, why is Lauren doing this? Lauren sucks. And then it justifies it at the end by showing that he's got this tragic backstory by introducing a woman just so they can fridge her and say he has man pain over it. So uh, I don't not know. Not even really following through on the man pain. Like, yeah. but I, I'm happy Dorothy is alive though. Like part of me really wants to believe she planned her own like escape because I find it really weird that of course on the day that they're supposed to break her out of whatever confinement she was in Lawrence happens to pick up a newspaper that reveals the real um, Nigerian princess or something like that Mm -hmm. so I'm like "Hmm, that's too coincidental I want to believe like she's faking her 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 amnesia but but we don't know much about her we only know about her through Oz and Lawrence but it's still a little condescending that the people she's with are like it would be nice if she stayed this way forever Mm. Yeah, I, I didn't like the reveal that she was alive. That felt cowardly because it's inconsequential that she's actually alive because uh, that's where the story ends. It's just like they couldn't even commit to killing her, which was like such an important narrative moment, uh, even though that part of the narrative sucked. Like, I, I don't know. It felt it reminded me of The Last of Us 2 where it's like they just were unwilling to commit to any of their ideas and so there were no ideas in the story. Also, Makoto's going back to Makoto for a minute like he's technically not a terrible con artist if people fill him in on the plan 
like he actually follows through it with the plan well if people actually bother to like fill him in on the plan but nobody ever does oh yeah keeping him in the dark is always part of the plan too yeah 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 which is kind of like why i mean he's shown that he's actually pretty capable of like carrying it through but yeah like i hate like i think for the other cases like i like them even though they're messy but case four yeah like on it on its own like just really pissed me off because i really do like like the energy and the care in this world Mm -hmm. but but yeah like i don't know like case four just really it's just it makes me mad that this is what they decided to do with it and i don't even know if a season two is happening or not but like like um i don't know it's like and if they do if season two does happen i hope it gets better or different writers involved or yeah like I, I don't want to see a, another terrible writing like case four again. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just ultimately it turned out to be about nothing. Uh, I do like Xion. Just want to throw that out there. Xion's cool. Xion. Which one was yeah. she? Uh, the like older Korean woman. Oh, her. Yeah. I love her. She's, she's great. I love how she is apparently a former femme fatale. And oh, yeah. she's just like, yeah, I'm aging out of this. So she just like, got a mohawk and tattoos and like just became like a a granny punk rocker uh she's great yeah i mean like i a lot of the characters were really good <laughs> up until it's the series seemed committed to just stamping out any possible goodwill you could hold toward any of them i mean i guess the only thing i liked by the end of it was I don't know. They hired that B-rated actor from Case One to run for president, and if maybe they're going to con the government. Wait, is that is, is that <laughs> what was happening at the end? Because it it seemed like Lauren had just become a a cop. Yeah, no. Like somebody on Twitter made a comparison. It's uh, the guy who is running for president or is president already is the same shitty actor from that movie Makoto watched in Case One. Okay. And so I get the impression that uh, they picked him to run for president so they can scam the, the biggest conning which, the entire United States of America. Yeah, which I'm like, okay, that's a note I accept. If you're going to end on that note, then I accept mm-hmm. it. But, but yeah, what was? But yeah, I felt the emotional payoff was just not there. Yeah, like yeah, because because if you think about it, the heists, quote unquote, they were successful, but but i didn't feel great by the end of it for some for especially case four so yeah yeah i think it for me it's really hard to get angry at anime because i i feel like i i set a, a lot of expectations for a lot of shows going in like if it's a fantasy isekai i don't usually have high expectations that it's going to have like really great themes uh depending upon the pvs i might not believe that it's going to have like a like you know it, its production could be good or bad um but like i feel like this show it really had kind of everything going for it and just kind of spoiled it all on just, and I'm not sure what level, like it, it seemed like maybe there was nobody reviewing the script for <laughs> any of these issues that came up or something. It just like, I'm just sort of amazed that this was kind of allowed to happen uh, considering the the quality of the production, right? Like based on the article on Anime News Network, it seemed that the, cause there was an interview with the writer mm-hmm. Um, he talked with the director a lot about the writing of the show and the director signed off on some of these decisions, which I I don't understand because I'm like, I'm like, no, like you like heists and mafia movies. How are you signing on to the the stupidness that's happening in case four, (laughs) you know? Yeah, just bizarre. I did. I got to point out we've gone over. Yeah, we have. Um, We've sure we've sure gone over. Yeah, it's probably time, especially uh, you've been through the ringer today, Caitlin. So we should probably wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody feel like they everybody get out all their negative feelings about Creepy. <laughs> you feel your sense of catharsis. I do. I mean, I still really love Great Pretenders overall, yeah. but oh, Case Four. I hate. Yeah, I hate <laughs> Case Four. Good, good ending. Good ending theme. Love me some Freddie Mercury. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Freddie Mercury. Yes. Good. <laughs> okay, that's that does it for Netflix 2020. We'll see what they have coming in 2021, and maybe do this again. 
Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what you heard, just want to let you know we've got a Patreon over at patreon.com slash animefeminist. Uh, just $1 goes a really long way to keep us showing you new content, both on print and in your earbuds. Uh, you can go to our website for more at www.animefeminist.com. We're on Facebook at NFM, Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and Twitter at Anime Feminist. Uh, thanks for listening, Anna Fam, and see you next time.